Hello, I'm Joshua Groisberg, a history enthusiast. And I'm Jacob Friedman, founder of People's Big News. And this is Gen Zero's Talk Politics. This is where two members of the next generation of American adults talk about what's going on in the world. Since the whole world is on fire, we might as well take a crack at delivering some insightful analysis and maybe some comedy along the way. We'd like to welcome Ariel Sennegar, a former classmate from our high school. Ariel, welcome to the show. Great to be here with you guys. First off, what are your general political meanings? I would say that I line libertarian and on the conservative side of libertarian. So fiscally very conservative, socially centrist to liberal. I also like to think that I have I have certain views that align like more with the Democratic Party than standard conservatives or libertarians, like on environmentalism in particular. How would you rate President Biden's job in office so far? I think that he's gone quite towards a more progressive bent than most conservatives have expected. Um, in particular, like, you know, there are many, many progressives who have been very happy, very pleased with the performance of President Biden. Most conservatives, unfortunately, have engaged in this obstructionist set of tactics in response to the Biden presidency, which is similar to the Obama presidency, but at an even harsher level, where any policy position that is brought forth by the Biden administration must be horrible or wrong to some level. But I think that there are many of these ideas that have been good, many elements of the infrastructure bill. I also think certain parts of the American Rescue Plan, I think one big problem is that neither side has been very willing to compromise. And therefore, we get positions where, for example, on the um, investigation into the January 6th riots, you know, has uh, is opposed by most Republicans, in spite of the fact that I certainly think, and I know many conservative friends of mine as well, who think that it could be a very good idea. So there's this rift in the way that the Republicans are responding to President Biden. I think most of them are united in their opposition, but there are people who are more like on the Liz Cheney side who say we also have to look at our own party and recognize our mistakes. And then there are Republicans, you know, like Kevin McCarthy or Mitch McConnell, that are saying we have to go straight ahead with the obstructionist tactics, prevent President Biden from doing anything and help us win the House back in the midterms. You mentioned earlier uh, that you were fiscally conservative. So right now, Biden has a lot of plans right now. The infrastructure plan, the American Families Plan, these cost trillions of dollars. How yes. do you feel about those plans and how much they cost? In terms of the cost, I think that is my main reason for opposition to them. I think that we have been vastly, vastly, vastly inflating the national debt recently, which in turn causes inflation in our currency. I think President Trump was very, very bad for the national debt, a fact that Republicans mostly seem to conveniently forget about. But I think Biden is shaping up to be even worse than Trump was for the national debt. I don't know. I, I could wax on about how m- many people on the progressive side of the aisle seem to, there is th- there's this idea that we can just continue floating additional debt because effectively we never have to pay the whole thing off. We can just continue to pay interest on it. But I think that's not even the whole, the, the big picture. I think that the US dollar is recognized as the international currency of guaranteed value. And by depreciating the currency, we are making it lose value. Um, my girlfriend, she is Venezuelan. In Venezuela, they use U.S. dollars instead of the Venezuelan Bolivares because they trust our currency and they don't trust their own. And I think that by devaluing our own currency, we're hurting our own people, especially our people who are of low income because they have most of their savings if they have any of it in cash. And that just makes it more difficult for them. Whereas the people who are more wealthy are more likely to have their savings invested and be able to withstand these this inflation. So I think it, that that in particular is very, very bad. So I just want to go back to GOP for a second. You know, in a post-Liz Cheney leadership world, where do you think the Republican Party is going to end up in 2022? And what do you think they should do? I think that the GOP leadership has a very difficult situation in front of them. The Democrats have 
basically for, for the past few decades dominated the like the political sphere, the intellectual sphere, the cultural sphere. And this has resulted in them having just being more popular objectively than the Republicans on a national scale. No Republican president has has won the popular vote in the last 17 years. And I think that this trend is only going to continue as we see Gen Z being the most left-wing generation of any generation we've seen, even more left-wing than the millennials, which were more left-wing than the previous generation, and so on. So I think that modern Republicans are thinking, how are we going to fight back and create this counterculture? President Trump, regardless of his, his policy or his, his character, was somebody who created the first, I think, real cultural counterculture that the Republican Party had going for them since, um, I don't even know, since Reagan, possibly. I think that the previous people that Republicans brought as the presidential candidates, like Romney and McCain, were both relatively moderate Republicans. And then Trump was unabashedly all about, in some ways, conservative principles and maybe certain darker parts of conservatism that, that people didn't want to admit or talk about. And that created a movement within the Republican Party that today's leaders are very reluctant to be rid of. I think in spite of the fact that they know the big lie is, in fact, a lie in that January 6th was horrible, horrible, horrible. I think the reason why I'm setting the stage is because I think that there is no easy answer for the Republican Party. I was talking to some of my conservative friends who I greatly respect and are more understanding why, say, Kevin McCarthy and Mitch McConnell are the way they are. They say that, look, if you're a party leader, it's not about principle at all. And this is not, you know, whether you're Republican or Democrat is this story. It's about what are you going to do to maintain political power and give yourself an edge in the future? The fact is that I think still 70% of Republicans believe that the election was rigged, which is just factually not true. And most of these people are in the camp um, Trump. And Ken McCarthy and Mitch McConnell know this. So that for them, in my opinion, it's not about the truth at all. It's about what are we going to do to appeal to these people, to the Republican base, because the Republican base is now squarely in Trump's camp. Liz Cheney, I think, is a figure of a high, with a high level of integrity, but also she doesn't know how to keep her popularity, evidenced by, by the fact that many Republicans now are not fans of Liz Cheney or Mitt Romney. The people that tried to come against Trump, whether they're Justin Amash or Mitt Romney or Liz Cheney, they are being purged by the leaders of the party in order to keep the, the Trumpism within it, because I think that they feel that this is the, the only thing that has created a countercultural movement that is serious within the Republican Party. So I suppose the reason why I'm, why I'm going with all this background is because I think it's important to recognize that in terms of there's like there's two sides of it. There's what's the right thing to do and what is the politically most likely to be successful thing to do. The Republican leaders are leaning more towards the second. I think it's good in the short term because I think this will help them be more likely to win the House back in 2022 than, say, just being full on agreeing with Liz Cheney, because I think they know that she is right. They are just afraid to say it because they're going to lose their base and then maybe the House in 2022. But I think that certainly the right thing to do would be to side with Liz Cheney. As for which ultimately in the long term is the better solution, truthfully, I don't know the answer. I think the case for Cheney is that the Republican Party used to be this party of conservatives who were principled in their beliefs. And it was not about populist style appeals like President Trump. It was about preserving the truth and decency. And I think that has been corrupted. You know, there's a debate either the Kissingers and the Cheneys who say, look, this is just a bad temporary thing the Republican Party is going through. We just have to wait it out and we're going to come back in. We're going to flood it with real conservatives, take, take back the party. But you also have the bulwark crowd, the Charlie Sykes, Evan McMullen. Many of them are saying, well, this party's done. This is a good time to start a third party. What, what do you think it would be better? Would you, uh, the Republican Party rehabilitation or a third party? And what would you do? 
Well, I think that any attempt at a third party is ultimately doomed for failure. But I think that doesn't necessarily mean that it's a bad decision. Like Teddy Roosevelt created his Bull Moose party um, way back in the early, I think early 1900s. And that ended up being very helpful for, I think, the progressive causes. He was one of the one of the original progressives to become the president of the United States because he solidified that he was not afraid to go leave like the traditional party lines in order to further his perspective. You know, many, many like very, very left wing people who say we've been, you know, the Democratic Party is not enough. We need to do something further or at least the Democrats better change in order to fit us. And that seems to have worked. So I think basically that the threat of making a third party, if sufficiently strong, could be enough to change the Republican Party for the better even if it does not have to be followed through. As for what, what truly is the right thing to do, I, I feel very indecisive right about now. I, I don't want to say, boom, this is the right thing to do because well, what if, what if I'm wrong? It is cool to see Evan McMullen back in the public sphere. I haven't heard his name in a, in a long time, but I really liked what, what, he tried, what he tried to do in 2016 was in my opinion, very cool, even though ultimately of course it did not work. People who are attempting to, to create a third party, I think that there's a lot about the Republican Party that is has been very good historically. And even the people who are on the left will, will agree. The Republican Party is the party of LinkedIn. It's the party of the people who were against the segregationists. You know, it was mostly the Democrats who were segregationists and the racists up until like, you know, a few decades ago when we started to have this switch. I think the Republican Party has done a tremendous amount of good for the country. And I think that there are these conservative principles that are, you know, most recently echoed by, you know, Reagan and Bush, in my opinion, are very, very good policies. Or at least if you're somebody who is not a conservative, you can recognize that they are policies that have some level of sense to them. You can understand why somebody who is looking out for the good of the country would hold these policy positions. I cannot say the same thing for, for Donald Trump. Uh, let's move on to the next topic, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict in its current stage. The last couple of weeks, there's been uh, rockets sent, there have been airstrikes. What is your current stance on all this? Of course, Israel ha has a right to defend itself and all that, all that stuff, all those qualifiers that I have to say, right? But I, I think that everything that happens has to be evaluated on a case-by-case -case basis. It is 100% fine to say to look at like one case where Israel levels a building and say, well, this time it is not okay because there's not sufficient evidence that Hamas is operating here. And then another case, yes, there is sufficient evidence. I think that there, there are certain things that we, I, I hope that we can agree are, are very bad. For example, like certain Democrats acting as though Hamas is not as bad as like the terrorist group that they are like oh yeah one other thing i think is important is that people will often bring up the like the difference in death tolls between the palestinians and the israelis as though this is like some measure of a like a disproportionate response and that this is this is particularly bad like on the israelis part well yes israel has the iron dome and um gaza strip does not have an iron dome just because israel is the more powerful side i think that there's this illusion a for progressives Usually there, there's this narrative that we have to stand up for the weak versus the strong, you know, whether it's like African-Americans in the United States versus the, the system or, you know, the poor versus the rich. In this case, it's the Palestinians. They are clearly the weaker force, but we have, it has to be evaluated on a more nuanced train of thought. All right, like what are the Palestinians trying to get out of this? And is this something that we really want? If we have a Palestinian state, is this going to be a state? Hopefully, right, it could become the first democratic Arab state that has, say, principles that align with ours, principles of liberty and freedom of speech and the like. But we have not seen any Arab state that is like that. And certainly neither Hamas nor Fatah are like that. And they seem to have no interest in being in any group like that. I think that we can say that Israel does not always do the right thing. And that there are like there are, I can certainly look at individual cases here, like you know, times where a Jewish mob beats up an Arab man 
or IDF soldiers unjustly harm or kill somebody and say those are totally wrong. Let's say that Israel as a state and its ideas, I think, are far above and beyond in terms of ideals, any Arab state that exists today or maybe will exist for the Palestinians. Yeah, there's a ceasefire in effect. God knows when this is going to happen again. There was reports that Biden talked to Prime Minister Netanyahu six times. And there was also conversations uh, with uh, Hamas, with the Egyptians as the middleman. Where do you see the U.S.'s role in all this? What should Biden be doing? I think that at least he has reiterated the United States support for Israel long term. I think that is important. Although, like, you know, he got a lot of flack from that from the progressives. I have heard certain things. This is like unsubstantiated, but that he is trying to direct Netanyahu specifically on which policy Netanyahu should take. In that case, I do not really know. I think that, well, you know, you can always make a suggestion. If the suggestion is a good suggestion, then Netanyahu hopefully should take it. And if it is not, then he should not. Um, I think it's fine to give advice and to try and be the middleman when you're actually going to be doing something productive. But you have to be careful which deals you're making. You know, I think the Iran deal, there are many reasons to believe that it was not a very good deal. The United States has intervened many, many times in the Israeli-Palestinian conflict and in general with like a little success. We had like what we had the Oslo Accords. We had Gaza given up by Israel. Like, you know, the latest time we tried the land for peace um, was giving up Gaza and saying, okay, well, Palestinians, you can try and govern yourselves here. And they elected a group of terrorists, which have been terrorizing Israel ever since. To be fair, that was a narrow victory for Hamas, as well as in the West Bank with Fatah, controlling Palestinian Authority. It also was a, you know, very crammed election. Although I think it's also worthwhile to note that neither Hamas nor Fatah have had any elections since. And I think this, this goes to show that even, even if Hamas say, Basically, none of the groups that they were being in, under serious consideration to be leaders were groups that I would consider to be good people or people who have the best interests of the Palestinians at heart. Certainly not Hamas. It's a very difficult topic. We need to look at things on a statistical level. The amount of Israelis killed in this latest co- conflict um, by Hamas, I believe, is about a dozen at this point in time. I think the number of Palestinians is, is maybe around 100. Like, certainly, I think a few, like a few times like, more. I think it's like 10, 20 to 1 ratio, Palestinians yeah. to Israelis killed, but which is many people, uh, but like more people than that die in the United States each day from coronavirus still, in spite of the fact that we've had the lowest amount of you know, cases for, for basically since the beginning of the pandemic. And, um, and if we stopped Hamas, even with all the bellyaching from the international community, we'd be saving dozens to hundreds of Israelis, at most, which is obviously very good, but there might be ways to save even more lives, like you know, end the conflict more permanently in a more peaceful way. In this case, I would, I would adhere to the diplomats to see what kind of answer they can give like the far right ideas of continuing to expand the settlements in the West Bank and drive Palestinians out, I think that is very bad. I think there's room for a Palestinian state, but I think that they also have not yet demonstrated that they're capable of electing a government that will be peaceful and democratic and allow people to express their voice the way they really are. Because I imagine that if most Palestinians from Gaza could say what they really think about Hamas, it would not be as positive you know, as it is made out to be. I mean, part of the issue with what recent tension is that you know, this is really turbocharging the extremists and, and general population, both Israelis and Palestinians, to more or less radicalize. The other side is the enemy. And now there's talk of, okay, is forget, forget a you know, two-state, is one state even a possibility? Is binational cooperation even a possibility? What are your thoughts on that? A big part of why people are saying this is that the Palestinian people have not been given the chance to learn and express themselves in the way that people who are living in, say, a first world country should be able to do. 
And this is mostly the fault of the leadership that, you know, that was elected many, many years ago. But also, like you said, this was many, many years ago. I think the last time they had the elections was, I think, in the early 2000s. There, there are people who were babies back then who are now teenagers to adults, people who should be able to vote, and they never had a say. So maybe things would be different um, if we tried to vote again. I also think that because of this, like you're saying, there's also time of extreme tension. It's basically there's, there's this feedback loop where the Palestinians would be angry at the Israelis. They'll cause additional violence and vote in people who will be even worse. And this will cause the Israelis to say, yes, they see confirmation. This is exactly what we said about the Palestinians and they are bad. And then you have this cycle that repeats and repeats. How do you break the cycle? How do we ease the tensions between the groups? One thing that we can do is maybe have programs to help Palestinians integrate into Israeli society. We already have a very large population of Arab Israelis and they are here at like all parts of the Israeli society. You know, even in, the, I think, the Supreme Court, there are Arab Israelis, and many of these parties are gaining power. I think that if we reach that level, it is easier for us to have elections. And I think at that time, the Palestinian population will feel more about Israelis as brothers or people that they can work alongside than enemies. So just because you're advocating for separate Palestinian state in the West Bank, in Gaza, as well as integration of Palestinians, into Israeli society. I'm not against a one-state solution that is just an integrated state where, you know, Jews and Palestinians can live in harmony, although it seems like a bit of a pipe dream at this point. We begin with integration. I think at this time, a Palestinian state would just become another Arab state that hates Israel and wants it destroyed. Um, I think with integration, the situation could change to where a two-state solution would be much more amenable to a two-state solution. But yes, I think at this time, a two-state solution, like immediately, immediately would not be a good idea. I don't think that we need to have separate states. A state does not need to be explicitly Jewish or explicitly Palestinian for it to be a state where people can express themselves properly. We can have Palestinians live their culture however they like in peace with the Jews and likewise from Jews to Palestinians. Bernie Sanders is set to propose a resolution to block really the billions of dollars that are going to Israel in aid. What do you think about that? And as you know, American support for Israel has never wavered. Do you think it's wavering now? I think among the left, certainly it's wavering, but it also, I think, like America's dark, dark little secret is that I think American support from Israel amongst people and like, especially the left wing of the Democratic Party has been, some of them have been afraid to say that they don't support it, that they, they lack support for Israel as much as they do. And I think especially with the squad com- coming out and, and sh- showing their lack of support, it has emboldened more Democrats to say more publicly that they do not support Israel. As for this policy, I'm, I'm not as against it as people would, I suppose, immediately expect it to be. I just think that we should not be as interventionist as we are as, as the United States. I think that we have overstayed our welcome in many countries happily. We are packing out of, out of Afghanistan. We are leaving. In general, right now, we need, to, we need to be a country that is focused on healing itself from COVID and working on itself to become stronger to fight against the real threats like China and Russia. And now the thing is also that the amount of money that we're giving to Israel is, is in the billions of dollars, but that is not a whole lot of money as far as our national. It's, like a, per, it's like a percent of a percent yes. of the actual budget. That's all foreign aid. Yes. There's, I was reading this book by, by a philosopher, Peter Singer, who, where he was advocating for increasing foreign aid. And he said, people always talk about how we should decrease foreign aid. We ask them to estimate how much of our budget is foreign aid. And the lowest estimate anybody gives is like 1%. Those are the people who are like educated, but it's actually much lower than that. All foreign aid, not just Israel. So that is the, the other side of it. So I'm not really so intrinsically against it. I do think, however, that we can be allies with the country without giving them billions of dollars. 
we have this, this military partnership with Israel where we exchange information with them and we learn and grow from one another. This doesn't have to be this transactional relationship where we're just giving them something for free. We can learn and work together without exchanging these things monetarily. But I've heard that there is a pro-Israel argument. There are very pro-Israel people who say it could be good for the United States to stop giving as much aid so that way Israel is less dependent on the U.S., and yeah, that's part of the argument that it you know, allows the U.S. to entangle in, in Israeli affairs and give Israel enough autonomy vis-a-vis the Palestinians, vis-a-vis Iran, etc. Yeah, exactly. And I agree with that. I think that there's a case to be made where you want to say, if we decrease or remove aid to Israel right now, that is even sending a signal to the international community that we don't support Israel as much as we did which I think could be very, very bad, especially it could embolden the enemies of the United States, which also happens to be the enemies of Israel. So I think like the way that it stands now, I would vote against a bill from Senator Sanders, but I wouldn't be against in the future doing something to lower the aid to Israel or eventually remove it entirely. So even if it's conditioning on a part of what Senator Sanders argues as human rights and um, possible war crimes and international courts, even based on that perspective, you hypothetically would be in favor of, con- of conditioning or uh, lowering the aid, even even it's on that front, not explicitly about getting the U.S. Yeah. out. Yeah, like, yes, for that reason and not for the, the reasons of the, the so-called war crimes. Yeah. I mean, I think that there are certainly individual cases. I think that every country in the world, um, virtually any country that has been in a war, there have been individuals in the country that have committed war crimes. Is the case, is it a few bad apples or is it the whole country? I think it's a few bad apples. So that's all the questions we have. Thank you so much for coming on. Is there anything else you would like to say to our audience? Oh, well, I wanted to thank you guys for, for bringing me on the podcast because it was a pleasure to hear from you. And it was, it was nice to have this, this conversation. Thank you guys so much. And that concludes this episode of Gen Zero Stock Politics. Be sure to join our Discord server. Follow us on Instagram at Gen Zero Stock Politics and on Twitter at Gen Zero Stock Poly with an I. And add or email us to ask your burning questions. Thanks for joining us and we hope to see you next time.